storm as well. So um, as I was preparing for my first official visit as your cooperate, or co Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Coordinator, I've been enjoying learning the really good work that all of you are doing here in Jacksonville and around the world. And speaking of the world, I love your where in the world is HAB. I've seen eight, your church in many, many locations across the world, and while I don't take a church with me, on my travels, I take my dog. Meet following Phoebe, or flat Phoebe. This is my rescue dog, and my family loves him dearly, but seriously, I do take Phoebe with, the, with me on my travels. Phoebe even has her own hashtag, and that is hashtag following Phoebe, which is spelled P-H-O-L-L-O-W, I-N-G-P-H-O-E-B-E, and Flat Phoebe is, of course, P-H-L-A-T-P-H-O-E-B-E. So, Phoebe's here with us, and you might even be asked to have your picture taken with Phoebe. So, all this to say, little things matter. And as, as I was pursuing, as I said before, your website, I simply just felt life and joy, and I saw so many signs of a healthy church and a healthy community here at HAB. Uh, as um, Rachel mentioned, I was on staff for 12 years at, in um, Tampa, Florida at Bayshore Baptist Church. But prior to that, I did spend most of my time packing and unpacking as our family moved 15 times in 23 years. Thank you, United States Air Force. But during those times, I spent a lot of time caring for and tending to military families because, after all, we were each other's family because we were far from our biological families. We were our own communities like our churches. And so I believe God used those years in the military to prepare me for ministry. And so what does that mean for you? I am here as a resource for you. And I am here to care for and tend to all of you as well. I am your bridge. I am your connector to help you thrive as a church family. And as a as a CBF church, you already know this, but you are a part of something so much bigger than a church here in Jacksonville. And while you are already doing amazing things here and across the globe, um, you just have so many gifts and resources to offer, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so I am here to open more doors and to provide you with additional resources. And the um, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship focuses on three areas. Our first area focuses on global missions. And so know, because of our global missions presence across the world, that means you are also there as well. You are helping us fund and support our field personnel, our missionaries across the world. And the way we... Um, engage with the world is, is different from a lot of the ways people do. We become a part of the community. Once we decide and do our research and decide where we want to engage, we, we create beloved community. We don't go to a, the way we don't work is we don't go in and hand out Bibles and say, you need to be saved, you're going to go to hell. We don't do that. We create relationships. We work beside the people in the communities. Um, we learn from them just as much as they learn from us. So we 
develop relationships, and then through our actions and our words, we, we, sh- we share the love of Jesus. And that's how we get the, the message of Jesus Christ across to the world. And then after that, of course, the transformation happens. So global missions is a huge part of what we do. We also focus on um, healthy churches. So we want, my job is to help HAB become the healthiest church it can be through the resources at CBF. And then the other area that we focus on, focus on um, is leadership development, especially long, young leaders. And I see a lot of young leaders sitting right over here. So that's uh, a, a little bit about uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and uh, the role that you all play because you are, you are part of that community. So would you pray with me this morning? Holy God, as we gather here in this very beautiful space and from places outside this place, we gather as one body united with Christ. And so now, with the words that we are about to hear this morning, may those words and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in God's sight our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. So, when was the last time you were humiliated? It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? It's downright often embarrassing and can be very awkward. There are books written about humiliation, there are movies produced, and there are a lot of television shows created just um, on the topic of humiliation. Um, some of you, if you're as old as me or a little bit older, might remember the popular show called Candid Camera. Does anybody remember that show? There's still many, many little um, snippets of it on YouTube, so if you haven't seen it in a while and you want to laugh, you, I, I encourage you to go to um, YouTube. But the show has been around since 1948, and of course, the show involved um, hidden cameras um, filming ordinary people being confronted with unusual situations and sometimes downright stupid situations. And um, one of my favorite is um, called A Flight to Nowhere, and it's, does anybody know that one? Anyway, it's about, it's a... It's a video, an episode of a group of people, 90 people, well, no, it was a 90-minute flight. People boarded a flight in Phoenix and were expecting a 90-minute flight to Salt Lake City. However, when they, when they arrived in Salt Lake City, they, the Salt Lake City um, gate attendants and crews transformed the arrival gate into looking like they had just landed in Phoenix, Arizona. They had signs of welcome to Phoenix. They had cactus, cacti. They had brochures about what to do in Phoenix. And so they, were, they left Phoenix, and now all of a sudden, after 90 minutes, they're ending up back in Phoenix. And of course, when they arrived, they um, showcased a few individuals. They were dumbfounded, and they went to the gate agent, and the gate agent said, well, you know, I'm sorry. It's just we had a new pilot. The pilot was kind of lost his, her, his or her sense of direction. And yeah, we ended back in Phoenix. We ended up back in Phoenix after flying around in the air for a while. But guess what? We're, we'll get you to Salt Lake City. So anyway, bottom line, when they said, smile, you're in candid camera, the people were downright humiliated. Um, 
it's a, it's a great it's a great moment of laughter. Um, and but today we're going to talk about humiliation, but we're not going to talk about that light-hearted kind of humiliation. We're going to talk about humiliation at a much deeper level. And this is what Nelson Mandela has to say about humiliation. I learned that to humiliate another person is to make him suffer an unnecessarily cruel fate. Of course, we know Jesus experienced the greatest of all humiliation as he hung on the cross for our salvation. And today, we're going to spend time with Jeremiah and how he experienced humiliation and practicality, and yet he remained hopeful the entire time. And as followers of Christ, God asks us to do certain things that are often impractical and come with a large dose of humility. So let's start with understanding Jeremiah's context. Jeremiah was the last prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom in the last days of a decaying nation. And after the death of King Solomon in 930 BC, the kingdom split into a northern kingdom which retained the name of Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah after the tribe of Judah, with Jerusalem as its capital. Judah continued after the ten tribes of the north had been carried away um, under into captivity of, from Assyria. But Jeremiah comes in at the close of the reign of the last good king of Judah, and it was a boy king named Josiah. His, Jeremiah's ministry covered about 40 years, and during all this time, he never once saw any signs of success in his ministry. Bottom line, he was called to a ministry of failure, impracticality, and humility. And yet, God enabled him to keep going for 40 long years and to be faithful to God and to accomplish God's purpose, to be a witness to a people who refuse to respond to his warnings. And so here we are today in chapter 32, and God is asking Jeremiah to act totally impractical. God continued to warn Jeremiah of the coming destruction, and Jeremiah continued to warn the people. But like people who often turn down the volume when asked to change a system or a process, the people ignored him. In fact, they actively tried to silence Jeremiah. He was depressing. He was bad for morale. They couldn't fathom God ever allowing such a thing to happen to his chosen people. This impractical message in chapter 32 was written when Jeremiah was under surveillance in the palace court, and he was being watched and being monitored by the palace guards. And once again, it was a time when God spoke to him, to Jeremiah. So when was the last time God spoke to you? What did God ask you to do? How does God speak to you? Perhaps, hear these words from Dallas Willard, perhaps we do not hear the voice of God because we do not expect to hear the voice of God. Then again, perhaps we do not expect it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives on our own and have never seriously considered anything else. 
Well, you may not have been confined or under surveillance during your last conversation with God, but chances are he wasn't asking you to buy real estate. Or maybe he was. So suppose a real estate agent, do we have any real estate professionals with us right now? Okay, perhaps out someone who's watching us from somewhere else. Suppose this person called you and said, I have the deal of a lifetime. I have this amazing beachfront piece of property with a beautiful home on it. The home is worth $15 million easily, and I'm going to let you have it for $15,000. What do you think? But, oh, by the way, it's in a war zone. Buying property in a war zone is a super risky investment. But to buy a piece of property that is already under enemy control when it's obvious that, obvious that the enemy is on the verge of overthrowing the entire country would be absolutely very impractical. Yet, that's exactly what God asked Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah was told to buy a field in a public ceremony and put away the deed for safekeeping. Here was Jeremiah's current situation. Death, starvation, and disease were at the doorsteps of people's homes. The Babylonians were attacking. The word God spoke was coming to pass. It was in the daily news. And the Almighty God said this to Jeremiah. Buy the field, pay for it in cash, and make sure there are witnesses. Jeremiah did this because God has, had also shared with him in chapter 32, verses 15, this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. God's promises are real, though often don't make sense. They appear impractical, and yet they require our hope and our trust in him. Having hope must come along with following God's difficult commands or direction in our lives. God will fulfill his promises no matter how bleak the situation because God word, God's word tells us this. So, speaking of hope, I have two real-life examples of steadfast hope that I'd like to share with you this morning. And the first one is a story of our partners, um, our church partners in the Bahamas. Um, as CBF Florida, we have nine churches in the Bahamas who are part of, of our, our CBF family. So Jackie and Christine Curry are co-pastors of one of our churches there. It's, um, the church is named New Hope Baptist Church in the village of New Hope um, on the Abacos. And just 12 days ago, Christine and Jackie's daughter-in-law, Jasmine, went into early labor at 26 weeks. So that's 14 weeks from a full-term pregnancy. This couple had been trying for 11 years to get pregnant. And during Jasmine's premature labor, there were many tense moments involving insurance issues, should her contractions should she take medication to slow her contractions down? Should she be put on bed rest? Would they, which hospital was she going to go to? Would they be able to fly her to Miami for better medical care? But in the end, 
Jasmine ended up in a Nassau hospital, and she and her husband were very, were feeling alone and afraid because they wanted better medical care, which they thought they would find in Miami. But throughout the entire time, Christine remained as a calm presence for her family. And she shared with me what she told her son and his wife. She said this to them, The God who would have been with you in Miami is the same God that will be with you in Nassau. That's hope. And that's faith. And so yesterday when I communicated with Christine, she said, The baby is good. And as they continue to work closely with her, they're trying to increase her daily um, feeding levels. So I, we appreciate your prayers for this sweet baby that is still in um, ICU, but um, there's appears to be a lot of hope and a lot of healing that is taking place. So the next illustration of hope comes from one of our CBF Florida and Caribbean Island mission partners and global field personnel. And the name of this organization is Cultivate Abundance. And Rick and Ellen Burnett are, um, are this organization. And right now they work in the um, Immokalee community outside of Fort Myers, Florida, which um, is, um, is home to a lot of the migrant community that comes here to pick tomatoes for the world, basically, or for the United States. And um, needless to say, there's a lot of work to be done because these people who are picking food for our tables often don't have food for their own tables. But prior to their work in Immokalee, they served many years in Thailand in, in, in agricultural ministry. And so Rick wrote this blog, and I'd like to share some pieces of it with you. So it was back in 1997, that's a while ago, he writes, we began to develop a small farm resource center on rented property in the northeast district of Thailand. Steep and of very poor soil quality, this land was, be, was to be used to evaluate and demonstrate appropriate agricultural techniques, as well as offering training programs and how to breed livestock for people who were actually backyard farmers in Thailand. However, apart from a tiny thatch roof, field shack, and a hand pump providing access to water, there was no road, no electricity, or nothing else. Having negotiated $48,000 for the sale of the land, we had nowhere near enough money to make the purchase. In the meantime, a Swedish development agency um, pledged several thousand dollars to, to buy it so that they could, so that Rick and Ellen could um, rent the property for a year. And so, scraping up $300 from their family, they bought bamboo and, a th and thatch to build a small house. So during the height of 1997 dry season, after they purchased all this material, a wildfire swept through the property. Anyway, a lot of the, the resources that they had purchased were um, not affected by the fire, fortunately. So they were able to get basic living facilities in place with the help of two young men, and somehow things were starting to take shape. 
In anticipation of the rains that usually arrive at a certain time, the fields and the patches were being prepared, except that it didn't rain. Then a strong El Nino climatic event was causing extreme drought over much of Southeast Asia. Brief showers would barely wet the ground. And meanwhile, at the same time, an economic crisis was beginning to spread across several Asian countries, and Thailand was included. Rick writes that one day in June, our small team was hoeing a dry patch of ground. Amidst the dust stirred up by our tools, Jim Long, the team manager, blurted out, it won't rain. The economy is terrible. I should have studied to be a doctor. We were indeed underfunded and there was no rain. How could it get worse? So it stayed dry for several more weeks. And then finally, in July, there was just enough rain. And then, to their astonishment, a generous $25,000 grant was announced for the purchase of the property. Within weeks, the Asian economic crisis caused regional currencies to plummet. Guess what? The Thai baht fell from 25 baht to 1 US dollar to 50 Thai baht per dollar. So the dollar increased 50%. So their $25,000, or doubled, I'm sorry, it doubled. Their $25,000 grant doubled in value and was suddenly enough to purchase the land. And the story goes on. So then we could afford to have passable road constructed up to the site. We could drill a proper well. We could buy a generator. We could enable to install electric lights. More bamboo houses could be built. And we could raise pigs and expand the garden. Things were beginning to look up. That, my friends, is an example of hope, long-term hope. And then in our New Testament passage for today that Julie read so passionately and so wonderfully, um, 1 Timothy is all about giving Paul encouragement and hope, as Timothy was a young leader. And in that closing chapter, Paul concludes... By telling Timothy, as you heard, to guard his motives and to stand firm in his faith, girded with hope and to live above reproach. I'll remind you those words as Julie read earlier. But as for you, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. One of my recent favorite words of wisdom and hope comes from Bob Goff. He's the author of Love Does and has written several other books. He wrote this. I keep putting things in the microwave, and God keeps putting them back in the crockpot. Whatever is distracting you today, give it a little more time. Have some hope. And so, as we close out this message today, I want to get a little personal with all of you, a little more personal. We know that we're about We know we have a bumpy life as followers of Jesus. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 verse 25 tells us this. 
God's foolishness is greater than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So here's what I think we all need to do. I think we need to get our tank of hope filled because God is bound to take us, if we're not already in a situation right now, he's, he was bound to take us on yet another impractical journey. God is going to ask each one of us to do something very hard and very impractical, 100% guaranteed. One who is aligned with God is seldom bored. Seems there's always something new and exciting and often terrifying just around the corner. So what might your next challenge be? Heaven only knows, but at the right time and in the right place and the right way, God will speak to you just as he spoke to Jeremiah. And when that happens, say a little prayer and buckle up. Amen.